0: Welcome to Afternoons with me. I'm Bill Arnold. I have missed you. I'm so glad to be back. We had a lovely break over the holidays, and now we are uh, ready to take on the new year. And I'm looking forward to it. As a matter of fact, I've got a great show for you lined up to get things started. I've got Rob Blewett coming on in just a minute, and Dave Sterrett's going to join me. He's written an interesting book called Jesus Conversations: Effective Everyday Engagement. I'm looking forward to meeting him. And then, if you uh, uh, are following Jeff Dorn's series on the idea. Our identity in Christ. You're going to love that. I know we got a lot of him last week, but we're going to have more of him today coming up in the second hour. So that's how we're going to get our day organized. So let's get started with Rob Bluey. Of course, you know, he's the executive editor at The Daily Signal, and so glad to have him with me today. Rob, welcome.
1: Hey, it's good to be back, Bill.
0: Happy New Year. Thank you. Same to you. Now, are you caught in that horrific snowstorm in Virginia?
1: (laughs) Yes, but not the traffic, fortunately. Oh, good. (laughs) I was worried about you. I didn't sleep at all
0: last night thinking about that.
1: Oh my goodness! I mean, some people were were stuck on I ninety five, which is the major highway <laughs> up and down the East Coast. I mean, including Senator Tim Kaine from Virginia. So uh, nobody was spared, and I was on that road the day before before the snow hit. But yeah, no, we uh, this is unusual, uh, particularly because we have experienced. Relatively mild winters, so uh, so we're not we're not used to the snow, Bill. Like I oh, know, <laughs> like you all are, uh, and so uh, yeah, schools have been closed the last two days, and I suspect that uh, you know for the the remaining week, you know, until everything melts, uh, you know, people will be disrupted, and of course. The schools in D.C. were already closed on Monday and Tuesday because they were worried about uh, the Omicron variant and, and COVID cases on mm-hmm. the rise. So maybe the snowstorm did everybody a little bit of a favor and uh, give them a breather after winter break.
0: And Rob, there were a lot of people stuck in cars throughout the entire night on I-94, weren't they?
1: Yes, they were. I mean, they uh, in fact, Senator Kane uh, shared his story about how to conserve gas, he would turn his car off, would try to get some sleep. And when he was cold, when he basically was so cold that he needed to turn the car back on to heat it up, uh, he would do so. So, Mm -hmm. yeah, people were in all sorts of uh, predicaments, and uh, I, I don't think people expected it to happen now. This wasn't just the fact that they didn't plow the roads. Uh, what happened was a, a big tractor trailer jackknifed and was blocking okay. the, the roadway. So, I mean, of course, that led to, I think they said, a 40-mile backup. I mean, that just seems incredible and uh, and one of those uh, freak situations that you never expect to find yourself
0: in. Mm-hmm. Well, let's get to some of the items that we're looking at in the news. I know we're starting a, a new year and I know there's lots happening, but one of the things I found interesting was some of the uh, the big tech censorship and and Facebook suspension for uh Marjorie Green. I thought that was interesting.
1: Yes, I mean we're we're not taking any breaks apparently from uh from this fight and I expect that this is going to be a big battle that you see playing out in Washington but also many states over the course of this next year and And conservatives have long complained that uh, they are a target of big tech censorship, Marjorie Taylor Greene was suspended for 24 hours, and uh, in her case, it was over uh, sharing COVID misinformation. It's uh, it's a pattern that seems to to be repeated in, uh, of itself. I mean, you have a lot of people who are uh, in these big tech positions who, if you, they don't like what you're saying about vaccines or COVID in general, uh, they'll they'll come down on you pretty hard, and they'll they'll cut off your access to to your mm-hmm. following and what you what you are now seeing uh, with the the high profile departures of both Senator Rand Paul from YouTube and Joe Rogan from Twitter is that they 're looking for other platforms where they can spread their message and so You're seeing places like Rumble and Getter and Parler and uh, those types of platforms experiencing a surge of interest and popularity as you have some real high profile users moving and migrating their audiences over there with them.
0: Well, Rob, there's been lots of things that have been said, and I don't want to make this political, but when a particular person says, if you get vaccinated, you can't get COVID, why wouldn't that person then be blocked from using social media?
1: It's a it's a very good question. There's definitely a, a double standard here, if that's what you want to call it, or, or hypocrisy on the sure. part of the the big tech platforms because they are selectively enforcing it. Now, obviously, Bill, we know that you know the, the science is changing and we're still learning more and more every day about uh, COVID-19. But at the same time, you can't just enforce the. The, the rules, and, and call somebody, uh, you know, um, out for doing what they determine to be misinformation. When you have other people who are arguably doing similar things, uh, maybe out from a different perspective—a per- perspective that might be shared by those overlords in Silicon Valley. So, it's, I think this is what uh, what so many Americans are frustrated about: is what they perceive as a, a lack of transparency from the big tech companies, and then uh, selectively applying the rules as they see fit.
0: You know, Rob, if you've ever had an issue, a medical issue, and that you've been concerned about, what do most people say if it appears serious? They always say you should probably go get a second opinion.
1: Right. Well, <laughs> Right. Exactly. You hear it all the time. You fact. hear it all the,
0: all the time. But we're dealing with scientists, doctors. They're, they're scientists and doctors. So why would we ever want to go get a second opinion? Because isn't the science science?
1: Well, so you would think in so, a there, fight look, right now there there are but there are a lot of doctors who I think are finding a voice and being willing to speak out yes. and, and one of them is Dr. Marty McCary, who who's spoken at the Heritage Foundation. Uh, he is somebody who's this week been very uh, opinionated about the fact that the FDA has authorized the booster shots for twelve to fifteen year olds. He said that they skipped the normal process in which you would go through a review. It's a rushed political decision that they're, they're doing. So, I mean, I, I'm grateful that there are some medical doctors who have the courage to, to speak up and, and share their perspectives on these social media platforms. Now they understand that they may face the consequences for doing so, uh, whether it be censorship or, or having their accounts suspended temporarily. But I think we need to hear hear all of those perspectives. And yes, sometimes it won't necessarily conform to what Dr. Fauci is saying. But that's not necessarily a bad thing either. I think Dr. Fauci should welcome the differing perspectives and not necessarily uh, be be of the uh, you know opinion that only his his uh, scientific perspective counts.
0: Yeah, I mean, I always think if there's a medical convention and there's an assembly of doctors, that they're going to get together and discuss things and there's going to be differing opinions. And that's just the way science is. That's the way medicine works.
1: And I think that that's a good thing I think you would want. Yes. That. I mean not not just with science and 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 you know the the medical profession but I think speaking broadly you'd want that in all of academia because when you start to silence and restrict people from speaking I think that really is the author authoritarian uh perspective uh really coming in pretty heavily and it's it's not only contrary to what the freedoms that we enjoy here in America but uh, it also limits the ability for individuals to make up their own mind and, and use you know their own reasoning and critical thinking to make decisions for themselves. But don't think we want to be in a situation where a government bureaucrat is dictating to us how to live our lives, and, and particularly when they, they make such strong assertions that we find out to be perhaps not true. I mean, I, you and I, when we last talked, I mean, I, I was in the middle of isolation uh, because I had tested positive for COVID. And, you know, I'm somebody who had both, uh, both shots, um, and I had relatively mild symptoms, just a sore throat. But, I mean, it just goes to show that, as with so many people who are testing positive now, Uh, The vaccine will only do so much uh, to protect you.
0: Mm -hmm. Rob Lewis, my guest executive editor at The Daily Signal. Rob, last year there was an incredible spike in crime. What are we going to look for in 2022?
1: Well, unfortunately, I think we're probably going to continue to see that pattern for at least a a short while longer. I mean, uh, you're, you're going to start to see some changes as leadership changes in these cities. And one notable example, which happened on January 1st, is New York City, where the new mayor, Eric Adams, has vowed to crack down on the rise in crime in that city. Of course, he is somebody who comes out of the police and ran as a Democrat who uh, was very strong on law and order. In fact, rebuffed a lot of people in his own party who were championing defund the police type of message but uh, there are a lot of what we call rogue prosecutors in other cities and mayors who have still uh, bowed to the demands of the far left in uh, attacking police or, or taking away their resources. So I I don't see things improving a whole lot in some of those cities like Chicago, where they just seem to have no ability to grasp the severity of of the problem and the concerns of the constituents who are dealing with it on a day-to-day basis.
0: Yeah, there's been an incredible spike in carjackings in the Twin Cities area in Minneapolis-St. Paul, where I live. And I I read that recently there are some kids that do it to kind of thrill-seeking. They're bored.
1: It, it, there is there is that factor as well and 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 frankly i the thing that I worry about is as as more schools move to virtual learning and and kids are back at home you know the, <laughs> We, we know from the previous experience that they get bored quickly, and a lot of them have found ways to, to shortcut the system. Uh, well, they still get maybe credit for attendance, but don't necessarily sit in front of the computer all day. So there are a variety of uh, of ways that you know people are are looking to to wreak havoc and and cause disruptions in in these major cities. We have the same problem locally here in Washington, D.C., and you're right. It is uh, – we, we have seen numbers that we – I think 1996 we have to go back to um, where the numbers are this bad, and that's, that's saying something because we were on a great trajectory in terms of reducing violent crime and homicides and murders in so many of these cities. And because I think of of COVID, because of some of the policies that the mayors have put in place, uh, we've seen a reversal in that trend.
0: Yeah, Rob. If citizens don't feel safe, is government doing their job?
1: No, because I, I think that that's one of the first commitments and priorities of the government. I nice mean, thought. there are all these other things that uh, that, that the the, the government uh, you know attempts to do. But even if you go back to our our U.S. Constitution. Uh, it's to provide for the common defense. I mean, it's written right there. I mean, that is what the federal government is aimed to do, and that's what so many local and state governments are charged to do with in their own uh, states and communities. And so that's why I think you're going to start to see voters hold these politicians accountable if they don't like the way things are going. You saw that bright and clear in a, in a very democratic and liberal city like New York uh, going for for Eric Adams, and so I would expect to see others uh, move in that same direction. And Bill, I uh, I don't know when it ends. I I certainly hope that uh, people start to I, I, identify different approaches to policing that is is done in a way that still respects the the rights of the citizens. Let's let's face it, there are some bad apples out there who who you know probably shouldn't be uh, in the jobs that they are, but that doesn't mean we have to wholesale, uh, throw out everybody and change policies in a radical way that shortchanges our police from doing their job.
0: Yeah, that job is a lot of hard work. It's a lot of stress. Uh, I applaud the officers in blue that are getting up every day and protecting the lives of citizens throughout our country. Um, it, it's a very difficult job.
1: It, oh, it's, it, it absolutely is. And w- one of the things that's been so disappointing over the course of the last couple of years is that... The large number of people who have either retired because they're fed up with the attacks uh, generally or or directly on their department. And then the problem is they've had recruiting and filling those openings uh, because there are just fewer people interested in going into a profession that's constantly under attack. So for those who are committed and still doing it, uh, definitely our hats go out to them. Mm -hmm. Rob Bluey is my guest,
0: the executive editor at The Daily Signal. When we come back, we'll discuss more, and I might even ask him what is Favorite dad gift was at Christmas. We'll be right back. Thats Rob blue's walk up music. he's the executive editor at The Daily Signal.'m curious Rob, what was your favorite dad gift this Christmas?
1: Ah well, I miss so many things, but, uh, <laughs> but probably probably my my favorite was uh my kids uh so after after Christmas, the reason we were traveling on ninety five was we took a, a vacation down to, to South Carolina to a little bit of a warmer climate, and my kids took me golfing a couple of times, and I always love being able to spend some time uh you know just just with the boys fantastic. And, and, when the girl gets a little bit older, we'll include her in the mix too. But uh, but yeah, no, just some some fun family activities and so a nice nice treat of them to to do that for dad and uh, and yeah, I, I really hope you and your listeners had a great Christmas as well. I know it was you know hopefully a little bit better than than the previous year when I know a lot of families weren't able to get together because of concerns about COVID and and certainly this year um, I, it was a little bit strange. We um, went over to my in laws and opened presents outdoors because. I was still in, you know, that period recovering, even though I mm-hmm. felt fine. And so, um, so I think everybody was in a slightly different uh, situation this year because of the, the spike in cases, Bill. But, um, but I hope that they, uh, they and you certainly had a good, uh, good Christmas.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, let's get back to the president's foreign policy agenda. Help us understand what there is to know. I have not looked at the news in about four or five days, so I, I'm really out of touch.
1: Well, a couple of big things. Uh, first of all, there continues to be uh, a buildup of Russian troops along the Ukrainian border in Eastern Europe. So that is uh, a big concern uh, looking ahead to uh, what Russia might be uh, might have planned and might be willing to do uh, to exert its influence. Now, it seems that the Biden administration at this point is uh, is keeping Russia at bay. But I mean, this could erupt and explode at any moment. We we know that uh, Putin is. Is somebody who who likes the surprise, and so that's one hot spot that I'd keep an eye on. The other is China. Uh, We have the Olympics starting in one month. Uh, There is already – the Biden administration has announced a diplomatic boycott. It's a little bit too late uh, to have a meaningful impact at this stage of the game. And it was uh, disappointing that they didn't take a stronger stand to try to get the game – moved out of, uh, out of China, but uh, that is the situation that we find ourselves in. So our athletes will still compete, uh, but uh, we will not send any diplomats to China. And that has not, not pleased China. They're, they're certainly disappointed that the United States took this stance, and it's inspired a few other countries to, uh, to follow suit. But China remains a, a major adversary for the United States, and I think that uh, once we get beyond these Olympic Games, uh, we'll see uh, see pressures uh, increase then on that front as well.
0: Mm-hmm. Rob, recently there were eight college professors that were canceled by the left. I know academia is driven by uh, the left. They dominate academia. But tell tell us about that story that's at com.
1: Sure, sure. My colleague Doug Blair wrote this excellent piece, and uh, you can find it again at DailySignal.com if you want to check it out. Uh, there, we, we went through the list of, of some notable cancellations, if you will, uh, that happened. And, uh, and uh, you know, just to give you some perspective on, on a few of them, uh, Mike Adams is somebody that your listeners might have heard of, a um, he, uh, professor at the University of North Carolina, uh, real outspoken conservative, and he faced a public campaign to get him fired. Uh, So there's a website called change.org where you can post a petition. And hundreds of people took to this petition and signed uh, a letter uh, criticizing Adams uh, for what they called hate speech. Um, We were talking earlier about big tech, that hate speech is one of the terms that they often hide behind to censor people. Well, it's also happening in academia. And uh, and so Mike Adams is somebody who, you know, faced, uh, you know, faced this. Cancellation threat, and uh, unfortunately, uh, you know, was um, uh, so tragic because uh, he he ended up uh, uh, committing suicide over it, Bill. So I mean, we really, uh, you know, it shows the consequences mm. of of leading somebody, you know, down this path when you are so so critical of them. And uh, and the list goes on. I mean, there there were so, somebody some other people from Portland State, a professor there who you know uh, also found himself in the the you know uh, the criticism from the the left for for things that he said uh you know we even had a assistant baseball coach at St. Joseph's University in Philadelphia uh you know he uh posted some tweets from an anonymous account uh which were critical of uh racial sensitivity training and you know it's found out that he did it so you know even when you're doing things anonymously you you basically you know are subjecting yourself to uh, to the left and and their criticism. And one final point on this bill is that i I think that you know as we talked about earlier when it was 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 science and having these robust debates, I think the thing that's most disappointing to me because my my own college experience uh, I, I felt that there was still an opportunity to engage from a different perspective. And I was a conservative in college, so I mean, oftentimes I was <laughs> at odds with the liber- more liberal leaning professors at Ithaca College. But I would say that never I, I, did I feel like I was in a situation where uh, my, my views weren't respected or, or we could, you know, civilly disagree. And I think that what I've heard from so many students who are coming out of college today and other professors who've shared their stories is that that atmosphere just doesn't exist anymore. And I'm mm-hmm. not sure what the what the breaking point was, but it's really disappointing to hear that.
0: Aren't your universities and college campuses, isn't that the place where you share this marketplace of ideas and you, you discuss things and try to grow in your understanding of each other's point of view? I, I guess I'm being very naive right now, Rob
1: well it, it seems like if there is a place to do it that would be the the one because uh when you get into the business world or politics obviously you know things are are either you know discouraged or or you know ha- become quite heated so i think that an environment where young people are exploring new ideas and a new way of thinking uh yes that is that is typically what you would expect from a, a college or university environment uh, my favorite course in college was a, was a course called critical thinking, and and the reason I loved it is because it encouraged this very idea that you didn't have to uh, adhere to a single belief. Really, it was up to you as an individual to decide on your own uh, what kind of political perspectives or, or or just other views that you wanted to have, and you should be skeptical of of you know people who are. Are pushing a particular perspective, probably politicians, <laughs> rightly so, uh, but you should consume news from multiple media sources. I mean, all sorts of various uh, things that I think have been lost as we try to embrace, you know, a singular point of view in many cases, and oftentimes from the left, uh, and not even uh, welcoming conservative views. Yeah, Rob,
0: that's why you are such a good guest on the show, because you were such a good student in college. I think my favorite class in college was lunch and a nap.
1: <laughs> well, Bill, I'll tell you. I I I think that uh, you know probably there are there are many many courses that I can't remember, but that is that is that is one that stands out. And I'll say this: I, I always I, I I think that and this is one thing I, I love. Love one reason I love doing your show and coming out and talking to you because I imagine there are things where you and I disagree. But I think that it's so important for us to be in, able to engage in a conversation when even we do disagree, and even in this time when when our our neighborhood personally my neighborhood has been you know blanketed with 10 inches of snow you see neighbors coming together who might have completely different political perspectives and different yard signs at different times of the year but willing to help each other out and isn't that what we are as americans and i think that's the situation we need to get back to on our college campuses as well
0: yeah i mean rob if we did disagree it wouldn't really matter to me because i just like you so much we'd have one of these (laughs) big arguments and i'd go okay what time we have lunch tomorrow
1: well, that's good to hear, Bill. I feel the same way about you. Good. All right.
0: We just got a couple of minutes left. Let's talk about uh, the military and some of the testing and, and vaccine mandates that the military has. We can't afford to lose too many people, especially some of our SEALs and some of our highly trained people in the military.
1: That's right. Absolutely. Well, the, the military is taking a very strict line when it comes to uh, to, to discharging service members who haven't been vaccinated. And unfortunately, they are not providing the religious exemptions that they should to these people who are uh, who are, are citing them in their applications for why they're not getting vaccinated. And so, so far, the cases that we have looked at, uh, I believe there were 27 who have been discharged you know, find themselves in a situation where, you know, they've given themselves and so much of their time and service to this country, and the military is basically turning them aside. And so we need to keep fighting this fight. There's a big case at the U.S. Supreme Court this Friday that deals with vaccine mandates. Mm. The Heritage Foundation is party to that a lawsuit. So next Tuesday, we'll have an update for
0: you. Cool. Look forward to that. Thank you, Rob. Great to hear your voice Thank again. You so. Yep. Rob Blue has been Take my care. guest, executive editor at The Daily Signal. Head to dailysignal.com. Take a little break. We come back. Dave Sterritt's with us talking about Jesus conversations. All right, this is kind of disturbing to see. Half of all professing Christians don't even know what the Great Commission is. Hmm. Of course, that's the last command given by Jesus was to go into all the world to make disciples, and yet only 10% of Christians ever talk to their friends or co-workers about the good news. It is little wonder that 25% of all unchurched adults now consider themselves skeptics, and nearly a third of these have never attended any church. Dave Starrett is my guest. He is the author of Jesus Conversations, and he encourages to reject uh, passivity, pay attention to those around you, and courageously initiate a conversation. He's written a brand-new book called Jesus Conversations, Effective Everyday Engagement. Dave, welcome.
2: Hey, Bill. Thanks for having me on your show.
0: Uh, I love this topic. You have, uh, you've started off uh, my year well, by bringing up this topic, because this is so important. We need to live with a sense of urgency to share our hope in Christ with others.
2: Well, you mentioned it. You mentioned the Great Commission, and that was Christ's uh, last—some uh, of his last words was encouraging not just the 12, but other people around him, other disciples, to go and make more disciples. And part of that process of discipleship includes the first part, of evangelism, of proclaiming the good news. And I just want to encourage Christians with this book, some people who may feel intimidated and feel like they don't have that gift, or uh, that's really not what God has called them to do. I wrote this book as an encouragement to equip that Christian to be able to proclaim the gospel to someone who doesn't believe uh, in Christianity.
0: Fantastic, Dave, which leads me to my first question. Why are we seeing uh, maybe just a lack of evangelism by Christ followers today?
2: Well, I think one of the things is uh, we have failed to equip the minds of followers in the area of apologetics. Right now, it used to—you know, right now there's a lot of skepticism. When Billy Graham in the 20th century would stand up and say, the Bible says, the Bible says— even though there were people who may not have been uh, regular churchgoers or born-again Christians, they had a reverence for the Bible. And I believe in today's culture, with the rise of skepticism and the intellectual left at universities who are teaching ideas like Marxism and Scientism, of course, we have the rise of transgenderism and uh, all these ideas that are contrary to the gospel, I think a lot of people are, are ill-equipped. And I also believe the second reason is the rise of the mega churches. Now, not all that is bad, but what we have done is many of these churches have become so dependent on the uh, person on stage, the uh, pastor who is often a performer, to provide this great environment where your, ag- your average churchgoer has just become very dependent on that pastor, where they may invite someone to church, but when the conversation comes up about, say, the truth of the Bible, or is Jesus the only way, or why is the Bible so judgmental against homosexuals, when those conversations come up uh, at the dinner table or at work, most Christians do not feel equipped to be able to proclaim the gospel. And So I wrote this book to encourage pastors, to encourage small groups and Christians to become effective in having Jesus conversations,
0: Dave Starrett's my guest, and his book is "Jesus Conversations: Effective Everyday Engagement." I love this uh, topic, uh, Dave. Let's talk about uh, people that think, "Well, I don't know if I have all the right answers. Should I be sharing Jesus? Am I well, am, am I at the right am I at the right point?"
2: Yes, that's a question that a lot of people have. And when we look at the New Testament, we see that Jesus uh, would often use people immediately after their conversion. You saw. For example, in John's Gospel, the woman at the well who uh, immediately goes back to her hometown, and she just begins by sharing what she knew about Jesus. And even in that process, she's asking questions. Um, you see Paul writing the Church of Corinth saying, Brothers, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many of you were influential. But God chose the foolish things, to shame the wise. And so... I would say absolutely, God can use you right now, even though you don't have the answers. And Bill, I've been so encouraged, even as when I was a professor several years ago in in Minnesota, I took students out, places like the University of Minnesota and the Mall of America and places in St. Paul, and I was amazed with students who who didn't have uh, all the uh, theology and seminary training that I had, many of them were used in a powerful way to share the simplicity of the gospel and also ask good questions to challenge uh, people and really what they believed as well. So I would say absolutely, just get started right now. The Holy Spirit can use you, even if you don't have all the answers.
0: I did not know, Dave, that you spent time here in Minnesota. Who gave you permission to leave?
2: Well, you know, it was a small college. It's It's no longer in existence. It was called uh Rivendell Sanctuary it was on the campus of Bethany Campus uh there in Minneapolis and I was there for just a little under a year okay. and uh and so now I live in Columbus but I've spent the last uh 15 years in Dallas and just moved to Columbus Ohio uh last, uh, last summer
0: Okay Let's get back to Jesus Conversations, Effective Everyday Engagement. Now, you sometimes will talk about people that spend a lot of their spare time with other believers, which is lovely because you love the fellowship, but why can this be a potential problem?
2: Well, I think one of the things is, is I would say that idea of potential, just hanging out, out with fellow Christians, uh, That's probably has, has been changing a lot. You have people that... uh Don't really hang out with all Christians, but I was one of those. I was one of those people who went to Christian school. My father was a minister. I went to Liberty University, and I was surrounded by Christians. And I think the problem with that is, um, I I think one. Let me just be clear. First and foremost, I believe our closest friends, who we are doing life with, should be believers. We should be around close uh, Christians, and those are people are going to help us grow. But we also want to be able to creating uh, be intentional uh, whether it 's in our full time jobs or whether it's we are playing sports or our neighbors. We want to be intentional in reaching and building relationships with people who don 't believe the way we do and and also just going out and taking our Christian friends, whether it 's out to a park or out to um, you know out to a sporting event, and we can be intentional in starting conversations about Jesus. To people who don't believe the way we do, we need to do this.
0: So, Dave, this is a great time to maybe give us some some examples of how we start a conversation with a stranger.
2: Well, I think one is just to say hi. <laughs> I, I mean, Bill. I mean, I, I think uh, with a lot of us is is we have routines in our lives, and we can just begin to say hi. There was a study done by Harvard. There's a podcast that I, I listen to audiobooks. My full-time day job is in medical sales. I work in oncology. So I spend time in the car, I listen to audiobooks, And there was a Harvard podcast that talks about the surprising power of asking questions. And one of the things that I've listened to is even a business that says, become a great noticer. So if we're at a coffee shop, if we notice something about a person's tattoo or their pet, In everyday conversation, we can just start by saying hi, and then we can look for examples for something spiritual. Um, We can look if there's a story uh, of why they moved somewhere or there's a tattoo. We can just ask questions about that and listen to them. And so one of the things I use is the SALT acronym. That just stands for S, start a conversation, A, ask questions, L, listen, and then T, tell the story, and if we do that, we can become, you know, salt, as Jesus said, and become effective and in, in draw people closer to the gospel.
0: It, it's so interesting, just the initiating a question. I had a guest on that said he was standing at baggage at in Chicago, and he said to the guy next to him as they were waiting for bags, Are you from Chicago? And he said, No, I'm from uh, Florida. when my parents got divorced, we moved sh- to Chicago. Wow. And boy, all of a sudden, you're offering all this information about yes. your family. Yes. And so he asked him a follow-up question, and before they knew it, they were having a meaningful spiritual conversation within 15 minutes.
2: That That's just a perfect example. Um, and what they did there is the follow-up question. And I talk a little bit about this. If someone says... Um, well, I moved to New York or I've moved to Chicago, the follow-up question is, well, what brought you to Chicago? And there's power, power in asking that follow-up question. And often we look for examples of hurt that people might have or experiences of change, and or maybe there's something they're really passionate about. And if we listen to these things, often it will lead to kind of almost us being able to listen to their story, their experiences, and then we can lead into a spiritual question, and we can ask that person simply, do they consider themselves a spiritual person or or a religious person, or do they believe in God? And those type of questions will allow us to eventually talk about Jesus in the gospel as well.
0: Well said. I appreciate that. So you say that the problem in the world today are not caused primarily by economic or political issues. What are they caused by?
2: Well, I mean, I would say, um, I mean, there are big issues economically and politically, and often these are influenced by ideas that are wrong. These ideas that are wrong are influenced by um, sin and sinful ideas that are apart from God. I mean, we see these this distortion of truth in the garden where, satan begins to kind of distort what jesus said and and he says hey well did god real or did god really say to you adam and eve did he really say that you can't eat from any tree in the garden so no god never said that but satan begins to distort and so we see this distortion of truth and i think a lot of people are have have embraced this kind of this subjectivism where they have rejected truth and they've kind of created their own truth And, uh, you know, this idea of culture that you live your own truth. And so I think that has influenced a lot of these bad political ideas, these bad um, ideas about economics. But most devastating is it's separated us from God. And it's, it's made us think, a lot of humans have thought we're okay with God or we're okay spiritually when in reality we're dead, we're separated, we've sinned. And so that's why we also need to bring in, the law and talk about issues like right and wrong and and sin and is there such a thing as a just god who we will give account to so uh and i wrote this book to really uh be able to equip questions but then to go into the gospel and to do i guess what you know people like ray comfort have done where we are able to talk about the ten commandments and allow that person to discover that they need good news that they need the gospel. They need hope and forgiveness.
0: Mm -hmm. So, Dave, if we're engaging in these everyday conversations with people and we want to talk about Christ and our faith, do you recommend that we have prepared responses for some of the hot-button topics that inevitably will come up, things like gay marriage or transgenderism or whatever that's a hot cultural topic?
2: you know Jesus said the greatest command is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind and strength and i would say in luke 2:52 it says that Jesus grew in stature and he grew in wisdom and with, in favor with god and with man so so Jesus grew in his human nature intellectually and so i would say absolutely we need to learn these things and so i would say on one hand we just get started with what we know and we begin right now, proclaiming the good news to our friends and to our neighbors and to, to those people that we meet at the coffee shop or those people that we interact with. We look for opportunities, but then we have to grow. We, you know, Paul said, when I was a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child, but when I became a man, I put my childish ways behind me. And so when I was trained in medical sales, like for my first job that was in uh, doing diagnostics for homes, for uh, sleep apnea, and I started learning about hypertension, and I started learning about uh, you know, this, this struggle that a lot of people with type 2 diabetes have with obstructive sleep apnea. I learned from a medical doctor, and I took notes, and I learned some canned responses that are very frequent that doctors might ask me about obstructive sleep apnea. But I would say likewise in our evangelism training, it's good for us to be able to memorize things Start with the Romans road, start by memorizing Romans chapter three twenty three six twenty three five eight ten, nine, and ten. Memorize scripture, but also on issues of abortion, if the transgender uh, question comes up, if people ask, well, give me some arguments for god 's existence without the Bible. I wrote a chapter about that. I want to be able to be able to give some response, and then we 're flexible we 're dependent upon the Holy Spirit, and so we 're not just giving canned responses. But we're prepared with a response, and then through wisdom, we're able to navigate the, the conversation in a way and be able to give an answer to these very tough questions.
0: Lovely response, Dave Starets, my guest. His book is "Jesus Conversations: Everyday Effective Everyday Engagement." We're gonna take a little break, and we come back. We're gonna talk some more with Dave. Be right back. my guest he's written a book called Jesus conversations effective everyday engagement so dave i know there's going to be some folks who uh want to share their faith they're nervous about it maybe discuss why apologetics are important for evangelism
2: i think it's important because i mean i would just say i would say that it's important but as maybe there's a listener who's Um, interested or they're they're really just concerned about someone they love who doesn't believe the way they do. And they are wondering, well, how do I do this? And I think with our family members, there's often uh, maybe a different approach that we might use than, say, a person at a coffee shop. But I think in both those situations, um, it's likely that if the person is not a Christian and they're willing to come into a conversation with with uh, with us, they will ask tough questions. And when they ask those tough questions, the word apologetics means to give a defense. It's a Greek word that was used in the uh, uh, the writings of Plato when Socrates was put on trial. He was accused of falsely uh, corrupting the minds of the young people of Athens. And he stood up on in trial, and he gave his defense. Well, the Apostle Paul and Peter both use that same word. And so Peter wrote this in 1 Peter 3.15. He says, But in your hearts, honor Christ as holy. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks for a reason for the hope that you have, but do this with gentleness and respect. And so Peter used this word apologetics. And so that's why it's very important. It's because Scripture commands it, logic demands it, and it's very likely that people will ask us tough questions, and we want to go and get answers and if we don't know the answer we can tell the person that and then we can uh study uh with that person and then we can uh get uh you know get equipped with good apologetics books and so uh, a good place to start is, is Jesus conversations there's uh great resources out there as well and uh, Lee Strobel's Case for Christ and and uh, Frank Turks. I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist, many more books. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, I would say there's a lot of good resources in the areas
0: of apologetics. Dave, I love apologetics, and I love that we are to be defenders of our faith. But this year, I've been trying to replace the word defender with the word inviter in my brain. I think there's some people that, when they hear you have to go defend your faith, they feel like that's a defensive posture and they're probably going to get taken to task and they might end up losing an argument. So I just wanted to put the thought in my head that as much as I'm willing to defend my faith 24 hours a day, I want to be an inviter of my faith. I want my, my faith to be winsome and inviting and not be digging in against someone going, all right, let's go to task on this. Let's just try to have it out.
2: Right. I mean, truth in itself, I mean, we, uh, you know, Scripture says, speak the truth in love. And so we can do this. I mean, the very early on, you know, in, in, you know, in John's Gospels, we saw these people who immediately started following Jesus. They just said, come and see. And it's an invitation for us to invite people to Jesus. And that's, uh, a great way that we can do as well is we can invite people, we can open up the opportunities. And and apologetics may be a, a seem harsh, but it doesn't have to be. It, it can just be uh, if someone um, asks a question, we can give a reason for the hope that we have. Mm-hmm. Paul says in Philippians 1, he uses the word apologetics. He says, whether I was out defending or confirming the faith, all of you sharing God's grace with me, and uh, and so that's that's what we want to do.
0: Mm-hmm. Dave Steritz, my guest, his book is Jesus Conversations. Uh, Dave, what are the seven essentials to the gospel?
2: Well, uh, I would say most importantly is, uh, well, I, w- I would say they're equally important. Okay. Um, first, you know, several of them are really focused on Jesus. Number one, that Jesus is God. Uh, you know, the scripture says in John 1, 1, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Jesus is God. Number two, it's very important to affirm that Jesus is fully human. Uh, if he was, if he only exhibited his divine nature, uh, he could not have died on the cross uh, for our sins and suffered and been tempted. So Jesus is fully God. He's fully human. Also, this good news is by God's grace, uh, and is uh, received through faith. Uh, Those are four of the points. Also, we must proclaim that Jesus Christ historically died on the cross, and then that he physically, bodily rose again from the dead. That's six of the points there. 1 Corinthians 15 says, for what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died, that he was buried, and that he was risen from the dead. Paul said, if Christ has not been risen from the dead, our faith is useless. And then number seven, and sometimes i put it as number one, I think it's very important for us to say that God is a theistic God. God exists. He is not pantheistic in the sense of a God of Spinoza. I recently heard an interview with uh, the Babylon Bee and uh, Elon Musk, and they were kind of, I don't know if they were joking or serious, but they kind of try to get Elon Musk to accept Jesus. And he says, well, I kind of believe in the God of Spinoza. Well, that's what Einstein believed. It's a very pantheistic God that all the matter and energy of the universe is this transcendent One, and that we're all part of this divine energy. Uh, it's almost, in some sense, kind of like the God of Oprah Winfrey or mm-hmm. the, the New Age. And so, I think it's very important for us to, to affirm the God Tree, the universe, and that there is only one God who exists—three uh, persons: Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Uh, Because otherwise, if we're talking to someone who is a New Age person, or we're talking to someone like an Elon Musk, or we're talking to, say, a Mormon, they may accept Jesus into their lives, but they may just be adding him on to all these other deities. Mm -hmm. So I would say theism, which means God created the universe, uh, I'll put that as the seventh point.
0: Okay. So, just a couple minutes left, Dave. If someone says, "Oh, evangelism really just isn't one of my gifts," I'm just going to live the gospel. What would you say to that person?
2: Well, I mean, I would say if if the person believes in the Bible and they're a Christian and and they are involved with their church, I would just say, you know, well, one, if you live the gospel, if you're just living it, the Bible jesus commanded to go and make disciples and proclaim the good news As you know we live the gospel by obeying him but i would also say that um what if i just told the person hey look serving's not my gift around here at the church so i'm not going to volunteer or do anything or you know i'm not going to uh paint or help the homeless because that's just not my gift well most people would think i'm kind of sold on myself and i'm i'm selfish and I think likewise with other gifts, it may not be your number one gift, but I would tell that person, you will encounter people that your pastor may never meet and that may never meet Bill or Dave and they have an opportunity to proclaim the gospel in their own way, in their own method, and uh Jesus can use them right now.
0: Yeah. I've never really loved that preach the gospel at all times and if absolutely necessary use words. Because Romans ten seventeen says, so then faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. Yeah, we, we need need to use words.
2: Absolutely, and you know the person who says, well, you you can't really depend on words. Well, they're using words that say that, you know. <laughs> and, and plus, <laughs> and plus, as Christians, we're, we're you know we emphasize that we're not saved by our great works. Right. I mean, we're saved by God's grace. We're, we're one beggar telling another beggar where to find bread, and so. um Yes, we have good news, but uh, we use words to proclaim it.
0: Thank you, Dave, for the uh, Jesus Conversations today. I appreciated it.
2: Hey, thanks, Bill. Thank you for having me on your show. Yeah,
0: it's been a delight. Dave Starrett's been my guest. His book is Jesus Conversations, Effective Everyday Engagement. We'll take a little break. When we come back, our two is just ahead. We're going to go back into our study on the identity, our identity in Christ with uh, Jeff Redorn. We'll be right back.